From PRX's Radiotopia, this is the Memory Palace. And welcome to the second half of the summer season, brought to you exclusively by Squarespace, which has everything you need to make a great website, all in one place. Go to squarespace.com and see for yourself. Start your free trial site today with no credit card required at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code MEMORY to get 10% off your first purchase. That's squarespace.com. Use offer code MEMORY. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. Squarespace. Helping us restore the historic apiary here at the palace. There's a couple weeks left until my very first live shows. Um, August 7th in Seattle. The next night in Portland. And uh, on a date I'm choosing to call the 11th of September in L.A., Uh, Check out TheMemoryPalace.us for tickets. And here's episode 71, Zulu, Charlie, Romeo. This is The Memory Palace. I'm Nate DeMeo. How can you know if it's love? How can you know if it's real? How can you know what the other person is feeling? How can they know your heart, even if it is right here on your sleeve? How can we know what they have, that couple there? Are they in love? Are they still? Were they ever? Are they performing love? How can we possibly know from all the way over here, right beside them? For a dollar a week, a man named Mkano performed a life. It cost a quarter to watch him do it in the summer of 1881 at Bunnell's Museum in Brooklyn, where amidst the fat woman, the skinny man, the rubber man with the stretchable skin, you'd find Mkano, one of six men known collectively as Farini's friendly Zulus. This was a well-chosen name, certain to appeal to a white audience who liked their exotic creatures declawed and neutered. The man who chose that name was good at that sort of thing. He had renamed himself, after all, going from William Hunt, a second-tier Canadian acrobat, semi-famous for tightroping over Niagara Falls, to Signor Farini, a European man of mystery, one of the 19th century's most successful showmen. And so it was that the great Farini christened Mkano with Charlie, an all-American name for this African man, far away from his home in Zululand. We don't know precisely how or when the man who came to be known as Zulu Charlie came to be employed by the man who came to be known as Farini, but it happened sometime in 1879, shortly after the British were routed in the first battle of what came to be known as the Anglo-Zulu War newspaper readers around the world were fascinated by stories of the fierce, spear-wielding warriors who defeated the gun-toting agents of empire. Farini knew that those readers would pay to see those warriors up close. So he sent someone to South Africa to find some. The lines went around the block. Or queues, the first stop for Farini's friendly Zulos was London. Brits crowded in to look their enemy in the eye and size up these men who'd beaten their sons and husbands and fathers and friends at the other end of the world and then on to New York, to Bunnell's Museum, where Charlie and eight other sons of Zululand were paid 20 cents a day to live a Zulu life. At least those parts that would entertain Americans. Chants and war dances, mostly. Spear-throwing demonstrations. Day after day, all through the summer, they'd suffer stares and catcalls and curses there in the museum, around the corner from the human skeleton, the infant elephant, the two-headed girl, day after day, 8,000 miles away from home. Anita Corsini spent her days teaching piano. She was 18, a Florentine, 
new to America as so many were back then. And as so many did, she worked to help support the family. But her father would let her keep some pocket change. In one July day, she had a quarter in the little pocket stitched into her homemade dress. And she decided to spend it at Bunnell's Museum and get out of the sun for a bit. She made her way through the exhibits, past the largest living couple and the smallest living couple. She may have caught the cat show or the bird show or the baby show. We don't know. But we do know she found herself among the crowd gathered to gawk at Farini's friendly Zulus. Maybe she pushed her way to the front. Or maybe men made way for this pretty girl with the dark curls and the dark eyes. And maybe some watched her as she watched the show. Watched Zulu Charlie and the other men with new names as they chanted and danced and feigned fighting. Maybe those men saw her dark eyes grow wide. How can we tell if it's love? How can we parse desire? Separate the physical, the flush, the rush of blood, the butterfly flutter from the romantic. The story we tell about the flush and the rush and the flutter woven from well-worn phrases and default descriptions of fleeting feelings. Anita Corsini called it love at first sight. She knew enough English for that. There's a phrase in Italian, un colpe di fulmine, a lightning bolt of love. Maybe she used that when she told her father, Tommaso, a man who made display cases for a living, about how she had fallen in love with a man on display told her father about how every free quarter he'd let her keep was spent at Bunnell's museum to gaze upon this man from Zululand. About how she'd worked up the courage to talk to him, this thrower of spears and of lightning bolts, and how he said he loved her too and asked her to marry him, and how she had said yes. Her father, well, her father had her arrested. She spent the night in Jefferson Market Prison in the West Village. He wanted to send her to the insane asylum on Blackwell's Island, but the police wouldn't go that far. There was nothing they could do, really. New York was one of the few states where interracial marriage was legal. And so Anita and Imcano found a reverend in Brooklyn and got hitched on August 25th, 1881. One of Imcano's countrymen served as a witness. Anita's father did not attend. And later that night, they went back to the museum. The show must go on and all. And Anita Corsini sat in the audience in a purple dress and a light straw hat with a white plume. We know because a reporter from the New York Herald was there to watch the new bride watch her new groom. Anita was described as positively handsome, with a clear and rosy complexion, large and dark languishing eyes, full rounded cheeks, and a pure aquiline nose. Umkana was described is swarthy. When the reporter caught up with Anita after the show, he asked her about their love. He is my Othello, and I am his Desdemona, she said. When the reporter pointed out that Othello kills Desdemona in the play, we love each other too much for that, Anita said, naively, as the reporter decided to put it. Let me pause there. Let you hold it up to the light and examine it for yourself and draw whatever conclusions you will about this couple in that moment in history, about the unnamed reporter's choices and intentions. Okay. What can we know of their love? 
Some historians have done their best to know as best they could, tried to sift through the clues the couple left on the rare occasions when their lives would catch the light. A Where Are They Now article, a report here and there from when Farini's friendly Zulus hit the road. We can find Anita there in those few clips, squirreled away in some paragraph, in the audience watching her husband. But we can't know what they talked about, or how they spent their time. We can immerse ourselves in context and read about the fluidity of racial identity in that time, especially in New York, and note that the Italian Anita may not have been considered white, and speculate how that may or may not have impacted how they were treated when they were out in the world, or how news of their wedding was received when it was read the world over. But we can't know what they thought of each other, what they liked most, what they wanted to change. We can read about Nkano, or at least the Zulu Charlie who appears in transcripts and reports on legal proceedings in New York and London, about when a museum goer taunted him, called him names and slapped him on the legs and shoulders, and Nkano hit him in the head with a club, and we can applaud the police for not pressing charges. We can read about how he agitated for a better contract and complained about being handed over and sold like cows by Farini. We can read how the magistrate ruled against Charlie and the other renamed men. But we can also extrapolate from his testimony an agency, a particular drive, and piece together some fragments of character, some glimpses of a man who once met a woman. We have far fewer fragments from the woman, as is so often the case. Those two lines in the paper, for whatever they're worth, is all the voice that history has afforded Anita Corsini. And that's all we're left with of their love story. These two people who found each other when each was so far from home. We can't know their love. We can just hold it up to the light for a moment and then let it fade. And we can try to remember, if only for a moment, just how brave a thing it is to love anyone in this world. <laughs>